Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohen, the deputy editor and chief critic. Joined, as always, by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson, on the rare occasion, sitting across from me here on my home turf in New York. It's always nice to have you here, Ann. Always happy to be here. With the great excuse of having you on the jury at the Tribeca Film Festival, so all the stuff you're seeing that you can't talk about, hopefully we'll get to circle back to at some point. But uh, the festival has started, and and there is other stuff that we've seen and we can talk about, and I think Tribeca is a really interesting entity on the festival circuit and I've been hard on it in the past because so it's, you know it's 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 not easy to launch a big festival with you know corporate sponsorship in a very crowded atmosphere and get the respect of the industry 16 years in I don't I don't know if they've totally gotten there but there is a lot to dig through in the lineup and you've probably seen stuff worth talking about. Well, one of the things that I think they're doing well is is re- recognizing that a film festival is no longer a film festival and uh, one of our writers, Graham Winfrey, wrote a very good uh, assessment of where Tribeca is right now, which I understand you helped to edit, Eric. Um, Always. <laughs> and uh, so basically uh, they've grown into something that is much more multi-platform, yeah. much more VR, We've got the Catherine Bigelow yeah. short in VR. You've got immersive storytelling. You've got a really robust TV section. Some insane panel conversations. Well, they've got the 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 Handmaid's Tale, they, they, which is high high end Hulu, and a very big theater, like nine hundred seats for that. And and, and, it, and these things sell out. Things like Casual, some of these yeah. popular shows, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but then they're debuting Genius, the Ron Howard. So they're sort of recognizing the overlap between... Uh, I mean, Reed Morano is an exciting young filmmaker who, did, who directed The Handmaid's Tale. I, I think it's worth noting that of all the American film festivals that have done TV programming, this one seems to, this year, have the best lineup. I mean, Sundance has experimented. Season, right. which is one of the reasons why all these Very people important. are participating yeah. in that. And because of the glut, one of the reasons why IndieWire and all the other uh, trades who are participating in, in Emmy season, it, it, I think it's really hard, uh, even for the TV people, to curate and find ways to break out and get attention uh, for these high quality shows. So, yeah, and it's a good way to use the festival circuit to expose them on some level. I do think and one they of the have things three, they do have three pilots too, independent pilots that don't even have a home yet. Absolutely, I think, a, I think a good use of a festival too. Exactly, the the idea of a of an industry platform for the changing face of media in the 21st century is something that I think is really positive and you know you could look at the story we did this week on Tribeca and say oh they're bashing Tribeca again but I actually thought it was a very level-headed positive yeah it was was very very positive you know it's almost like if they took the word film out of there you'd have a very accurate reflection of what this thing is which is a representation of a very fragmented landscape we don't know if VR is going to be as popular as it is now, but it's around, so let's showcase it. But what I think are all these things? It's more of an know? institution now, and I, what, I, what struck me showing up at the uh, jury lunch um, uh, at, at, of course, the Tribeca Grill, uh, with De Niro on hand, sitting next to Ruth Wilson, the Broadway star and TV star of The Affair, Classic. who I just saw in Hedda Gabler at the National Theater Live in LA which was great. I hope you got a selfie with her. <laughs> I, I talked to her. 
that I talked to her. And and I I think that there was a remarkable uh, group of people there, documentary filmmakers like Amy Berg and Marilyn Ness at my table, Zachary Quinto, R.J. Cutler, who's on the jury with me, Barbara Koppel, who's on the jury with me, and David Wilson from True Falls Film Festival on the jury, and, and then all sorts of, of people around the room, Zach Posen, <laughs> you know, for those of us who watch Project Runway, uh, True Confessions. Highbrow um, and lowbrow. You know, I, I had a nice chat with Sheila Nevins, who has a memoir out, which I'm going to read, which I look forward to. The rock star of the documentary exactly. world from HBO. HBO. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say, there, there's some great people who program Tribeca Film Festival. Frederick Boyer, who's a good friend of mine, is the artistic director. Kara Kusumato, who's the director of programming starting this year. I think these people do a really good job of looking at a, a wide range of movies throughout the year. There is a strong range of international stuff at the festival beyond the red carpet stuff and the, the, the documentaries and so forth. Um, but well, did you see The Lovers? I did see The Lovers. I, I like it quite a bit. That's a new film from Ozzy Jacobs, uh, the son of Ken Jacobs, who's made a couple of really interesting character studies over the years, Mama's Man and Terry. Which I didn't see. Um, this is a really... It's, I, I liked it quite a bit. It, it's... Uh, Deborah Winger and Tracy, Tracy Letts. Letts. And his first real... Uh, leading role. Lead role, yeah. I mean, if you saw the um, Todd Solondz film he did just a couple of years ago, you know that he can play a kind of sad suburban... Husband, basically. He's a really but, good actor. He, but, I mean, we yeah, know him he, as a playwright, and he often plays these sort of intimidating characters yeah. who have a lot of anger in them, like in the movie Christine. Um, but he, and he's obviously uh, played some of these roles on TV as well, but he was really good. He is really good. We and knew so Deborah Winger yeah. would be Although good. it's been a while since she's had a great role like this. And the premise of the movie is worth explaining because it's basically, it's complicated but with a more kind of subtler, dramatic quality to it. And a much, much, much lower budget. Yes. To its detriment. Uh, well, we could talk about that, but basically the premise is a, it's a couple that is, seems to be falling out of love. They're both having affairs. Both of their paramours basically want them to leave their husband and wife. And they and haven't gotten around to it. They haven't gotten around to it. They kind of fall back in love, and then they're, they're cheating on the people they're cheating with. It's hilarious. It, yeah, I love that concept. And, it, you and know, it's, it's sexy. A, it's actually it's sexy. Totally. The other thing that I like about the movie, which is very unusual, is that these are people of a certain age who are shown... I mean, it's not that they're unattractive people. I mean, in the real world, they are attractive people. But in the movie world, they're shown in in all their aged glory. Yeah, they're real middle-aged people. Yeah. <laughs> but which is cool from a director who just turned 40 or whatever it is. I mean, he's, he's, he's reaching upward as opposed to trying to just represent the world that's most immediately familiar to him. I also felt like it's... It's basically a classic comedy of remarriage, like something Lubitsch would have made in a different scale, a different you know time timeline. But it, Not it has for laughs so much. I laughed a few times. <laughs> There's some cringe comedy to it because it's just so absurd. I mean, the serendipity of, of all of it is, is a little bit of that, you know, Hollywood magic in a way, because it's not totally a credible scenario, but it does find the emotion, especially when their teenage kid shows up, and he's basically like... What uh, the hell? All you people are crazy. Yeah, the younger kid is, is the 
kind of sane one in this movie. Uh, he overreacted. It's all relative, anyway. But it, but it, yeah, I thought that was a good one. It's sort of a smaller movie. It would be hard to find another platform for it at a U.S. It's festival. It's a perfect platform for Tribeca. Yeah, so that was one good narrative. Another good one I saw was Abundant Acreage Available, which is a terrible name for a movie, unless you're hoping to rank number one on VOD, which maybe is the best thing this one's got <laughs> going what for they it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's Angus McLaughlin. He did Goodbye to All That. Uh, he directed that, and he wrote Junebug a number of years ago. And uh, it stars Amy Ryan as this woman who is, uh, her, her father has just passed away, and she doesn't know what to do with his farmland, and some uh, older men who knew her father show up, and they claim a stake to the land. And it's a very quiet, minimalist story, but it has a theatrical quality to it, McLaughlin being a playwright, something like Arthur Miller-esque in a way about it. I thought it was very very solid, but Amy Ryan, much in the way that Deborah Winger is so great in The Lovers, it'd been a, it's been a while since she had a great leading role. I wouldn't you say saw the opening movie. night movie, and you oh God. killed it! I've been, I've been dancing around that one, in, but yeah, I, as, as much as I think there is some promise to some Tribeca programming aspects, they've got to do something about the opening night. They often show mediocre movies with performances under the assumption, I guess, that doing a big opening night event it would be is more successful than showcasing some big movie, which maybe has some logic to it, but don't show a completely crappy hagiographic, you know, biopic or whatever. I mean Clive Davis' soundtrack of our lives is like a hundred and twenty minute VH one highlight reel. I heard it was a little long. Well it, it, yeah, Two hours long. And and not only that, completely authorized. I mean, he's basically sitting in his office telling the camera how amazing he is. And That's then other wrong. people talk about how amazing he is. And then the, the movie ends, and we get this, like, 45 minutes of, you know, these amazing people bearing antelope or whatever coming out on stage to do a song and then acknowledge Clive in the audience as if he was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award, not the subject of a documentary. You know, I mean, Aretha Franklin closed out the night, and she was great. It was totally worth it. They should have just had her perform. Carly Simon coming out and doing Itsy Bitsy Little Spider with a chorus of children. I don't know what was happening there, but there was no quality control. It's basically what I'm getting at. It's like the programming team didn't seem to have the final say. You know, and, and that's, that's the challenge with these kinds of big festivals, is when you have something that's not curatorial driving the decision... Mm -hmm. I mean, the best part of they the night... They had a lot of sponsors who were driving I was going to say, the best part of the night in crowded Radio City Music Hall was when a United ad came up before the movie started. I saw one, and, of, the night, one of the screenings and, and the audience lost. went... Because it was all about getting into the highest rank of the Snowpiercer. Exactly. You know, deluxe part of the exactly. play. It's creepy. And everybody, like, booed them. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's just it's happening all over the festival. I, now, I, I was flown on United out here. <laughs> I was amused by this. Well, that's a joke now, right? Everybody's going to stop using United until it's the most affordable option. <laughs> so, so the other movie that I would have gone to see is The Trip, which um, the I The Trip to Spain. To see, right? The end to the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Why is it? They won't do it again? Oh, I don't know. Never Usually it's a third never. entry, it seems yeah. like. I mean, I guess you could do a fourth one. If it's working, one. it's working. Yeah, well, the, yeah, and those are fun. It. Yeah, those are fun, and it's, you know, I'm sure IFC will do it again. They, they seem to have a good relationship with those guys. It's the most hilarious, unexpected, successful franchise you could ask for. You know, it's like you have They're the, hilarious. Yeah, just driving around, eating good food, doing impersonations. I hear there's a, a great Robert De Niro impersonation. Again. In this one. Yeah, so, you know, that, uh, they could do it indefinitely. 
really. <laughs> Although Coogan's an interesting guy. I mean, he seems to be trying new stuff, and this is maybe one way in which he has something he can latch onto. It's sort of a consistent element as he, you know, sort of experiments on the side or whatever. And you know that's going to work. So. so moving on, we're going to go to Cannes. And so they've been making the announcements. We went over the main bar last week. This week they announced the director's fortnight as well as the... The Critics Week, which you are going to be on the jury of, yep. which is sort of exciting. Yeah, I hope I don't lose too much sleep <laughs> beyond be the average. <laughs> It'll be interesting. It's only seven movies, but uh, Critics Week, always always a cool section. Briggs B. Bear. Yeah, that's a closing night. That's a Sundance carryover, but a lot, of, a lot of stuff that nobody's really heard about, so I think it's kind of cool to have the excuse to watch all of them, because a lot of times they are not priorities for us. Just because until you hear about something like last year, hearing about Raw being this really cool, zany horror film from a first-time director, until you hear that, you don't really know a lot of times what to see at Critics You week. usually wait for word of mouth yeah. to come by. I have so. to say, none of these are things sight unseen that I would go out of my way to see, I have to say. Well, the, the, there are some things that, that, uh, that look intriguing. There's a, a movie produced by Will Ferrell that could be notable. There's a... Uh, a couple other things, uh, an Iranian animated film. Oh, um, so you, you really, I mean, but it's I really will wait to hear from you. Exactly. And I will. I will quietly. Report you will back. tip me <laughs> quietly, and then uh, on the cans, and there's a lot of good stuff. As oh yeah, usual. director's Fortnite is, is. I mean, I think pretty reliable. I've said basically since my first year going to Cannes, you know, I would love to come and just watch the twenty odd movies in this section because. They're not gonna. They often don't get the same sort of profile of the festival, but it's 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 still usually a pretty strong selection. Well, uh, we've got a film from Claire Denis who's always reliable. Night. Yeah, that's a Roland Bart adaptation from Claire Denis. You couldn't ask for a, right. a better kind of like With French cinephile gem. Exactly. Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, exactly. Cannot so wait. I'm for that. there. She turned sixty-one today, or seventy-one. As, so as they the, put the musical well. into. Fortnite, even though Bruno Dumont's film was in Slack Bay, was in the in competition, main competition last year. Before. Yeah, so it's a Camille Claudel. No, I'm sorry, Joan of Arc musical. He's he's already Jeanette, done Camille, the childhood of Joan of Arc. That sounds wild. wild. I mean, he is so unpredictable and, and fascinating. So, and of course, we got our pal Sean Baker's The Florida Project back after also doing the there. Tangerine. Also there, I love Tangerine. Yeah. Tangerine almost made the cut at Cannes a couple years back, so it's nice that he's finally going to get that kind of international platform for what he's doing. I hope the, the movie has been worth the wait. It's, he's got Willem Dafoe in it, so it's definitely going to be a step up on some level in terms of exposure. And Patty Cakes from Sundance. Patty will Cakes be will be the closing that film. Yeah. yeah, so so that it'll be fascinating to see what kind of a platform that movie gets. I think it'll be also really interesting to see Asiambra from Jonas... Carpignano, who did Mediterranean, that was in Critics Week. He's like slowly creeping towards the official selection. And, um, you know, a lot of the other films here that we haven't heard about, they have potential to really just all of a sudden something could happen because Director's Fortnite is a pretty big profile anyway. So one of the so. films that showed there last year was Laura Quattris' Risk, and a lot of us have been saying, what happened? When is it coming out? When are we going to see it? And basically, she's been updating it and updating it, and even this week canceled a screening in order to continue to update because, it because uh, he's in the news. Our mousy, our mousy attorney general claims that she that uh, he's gonna take Assange to jail or something. So she's she. Well, here's the thing about Laura Poitras is that 
even though she surprises people, in retrospect, her decisions make a lot of sense. You know, we knew that she filmed uh, Edward Snowden. Nobody knew it was a secret that she was turning that into a movie. But in retrospect, of course it was going to be a movie. So after Assange played this ethically dubious role in the 2016 presidential election and risk had not come out, do, do we think that Poitras is the kind of person to just walk away from her no, 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 relatively no, 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 no. celebratory portrait? Of course she was going to keep updating. I just wondered, you know, where it what was going to happen? When were so, we, right. when so we first we learned it, that Neon And what was up. her point of view? She has changed her point right. of view. Right, it, it would seem so based on what you can see in the trailer. Because um, the first thing we saw at the New York Film Festival, which is a, you know a, an episodic version of it, was extremely friendly to him. You know, yeah. she was at very close quarters with and, him, which made sense showing him someone. getting into disguise mm -hmm. and going out on his bike. Well, because it's, he seemed like somebody whose cause she would be sympathetic with until the like she says, and, and you can hear it in the trailer. There are paradoxes associated with the kind of, with the way in which he disseminates information and the situation that we're stuck in now with the Trump administration on some level could be traced back to some of that. So, you know, she, she seems to be wrestling with that in, I think, a really exciting way. And it's great that Neon picked it up because, you know, those, those that's the same team of people who at Radius put out Citizen Four, and they're teaming with Showtime, so it seems like something that could really generate conversation about him right at that moment when something big could happen. I mean, if they arrest Assange and the movie comes out, she could still keep work. I mean, who knows? This is a story that's just going to keep percolating in the news cycle. So so that's going to be kind of fascinating to see what happens next, in a way. So today there were two rival women's lunches in New York City, which seems odd to me. Variety had one, and you went to that, and Women in Power lunch. And I was at the, the Tribeca women's lunch, which, which was fabulous, actually. I really enjoyed uh, seeing uh, the great producer Donna Gelati and uh, Ellen Burstyn and Diane Lane and um, lots of selfies. Maggie Smith, <laughs> who's I love on, on Billions. So, what was the vibe? Do you, do you feel Berg. like the... So, basically, Jane. Um, do you feel like the conversations around women in Hollywood are more optimistic than they would have been in a lunch like this maybe a year or two ago? I think so. I actually think that there's a lot more consciousness, a lot more impetus to push women. We were talking to Clea, Kate Urbland and I were talking to uh, Clea Duvall, who's absolutely moving forward with several projects following up her last one that showed at Sundance. Um, Amy Berg has done a narrative film. She's intentionally going to go forward, as, even though she's well known for her documentaries. Uh, she's going to go forward with some narrative films. So it's it's there's there's a lot of and they talked about how invested they are. They're going to give a a Nora. The people at the festival are helping support women directors. So one of the things they're going to give is an award. Uh, a Nora Ephron Award to the writer-director who best embodies Nora Ephron. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I love the idea of sort of the specific spirit of the yes. filmmaker yes. in a way. Well, at the Variety of Power Women Lunch, one of the standouts was Jessica Chastain, who always gives great speeches about this Jessica sort of thing. We love Jessica Chastain. And she mentioned, based on her research from an IndieWire article, that the top specialty box office film of the year so far is Zookeeper's Wife, which... Ten million. Yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, that movie, and you know, all women cast that she's crew. a star. Yeah, That's, I mean, we've known she, that for a while, but we've known that for a while. But to define, to here's the thing. You mean a the box very office beginning? Draw. I that's what I mean. Yeah. The, the word star means putting people in in seats, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there are very few of them. And she hasn't necessarily been proven to be one based on her zero dark thirty, maybe. 
Yeah, that's what she I'm saying. That, and she, and she's badass in that movie. But maybe big, it wasn't... Big, big studio movie with a yeah. lot of money behind it. Yeah. But anyway, this this movie started out getting sort of the kind of reviews like Holocaust Life that you get, you know, women's pictures sometimes right. get. And right. I have to say that there was a lot of support on Twitter, a lot of social media support for this movie, and they drove it to success. That's pretty, it's, it's pretty interesting, I mean, as a case study for how to do it. Because obviously that seems to be what the gap in the market would place was. It was like something that could serve an underserved audience or that has it a strong a good movie. Lead. I mean, I have slight quibbles with some of the stuff that yeah. they did in the third act, but really, it's a very well-made movie. Well, I need to see that one. I got I, I caught up on Fast and Furious per your recommendation, so... <laughs> I did not recommend that. I did not recommend that. Per your anti-recommendation. And but I, what did you think? I had a blast at, at the end of the week needing to unplug my brain for two hours, so... You know, I I think what happened was I expected it to be so bad and, and discovered that it was just acceptably bad. Like, just a really stupid movie that was completely entertaining for what it was. I enjoyed Statham quite a bit, so I'm happy to hear he's getting some kind of spin-off, apparently. I can't believe um, you're being this kind. This was one of those movies where I rolled my eyes with horror at how bad it was. Well, let me say it to you this way. Charlize this was not... bad. Charlize was fake. The movie was entirely fake. Oh, it's so, nothing it's super real fake. about it. It's 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 it's. it's there it's used got, to be something real there with those friends. I I don't know if that was ever really true. I think people were get, go, going easier on a really dumb concept in the first place. The testosterone fueled men in cars spectacle, and I'm, I'm happy to see that they've let, let their hair down a little bit and let it be as stupid as it possibly could be. I mean, the most annoying thing to me are boring blockbusters that seem to think they're doing something great, but are actually just empty and spectacle-driven and trying to do something more sophisticated. Like a Michael Bay thing. I just, I, I, he drives me insane. But this is a movie that, look, if you're hanging out in hell and you have to see all the movies that hell thinks you should see, I'd rather see the best movie in hell. So this is not my favorite kind of cinema, but I think that it's, you know, a higher bar for stupid filmmaking. Let me put it to you oh, that way. Oh my god. <laughs> All I'm going to say to you is that I give, give me Guardians of the Galaxy. I saw Volume 2. I'm not allowed to yeah, review it Yeah, we're not allowed to talk about it yet. I, they, they do allow you to tweet it. So let's just say that my, my quick, quickie tweet version would be... It's all right. Fantastic sequel. <laughs> and it gives you what you want including Kurt Russell, who can do no wrong. And there's a Bill Simmons interview with Kurt Russell, which I recommend to everybody. I, I, think, to. Uh, I think what's interesting about Podcast. a movie like that, that, that would not be showing in hell. That's not, the, those movies are, that's a, to me, an auteur-driven franchise with James Gunn, filmmaker with a particular All kind right. of vision. A lot of people think of it as a comic book movie, but yeah. I will give but it, I, it's an A-list comic but book movie. But to me, comic book movies are, are flamboyant and exuberant in a way that a lot of other temple movies can't be. All right, so, so I went to see that over at Disney, and I thought they were going to do a little show-and-tell uh, for Marvel, but they actually sent me a, a group tour. Of, of other journalists on this tour, and it was just really fun. It, it reminded me of going to see Lucasfilm or going to see uh, Amblin over at the uh, Universal lot where you see all the iconic objects on the wall, the Thor's hammer, the mm -hmm. different versions of Captain America's shield. Or, yeah. 
the different uh, Iron Man outfits. Good PR. And they uh, showed us the 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 digital di designers at their computers, you know, with their toys and their collectibles, and they showed the library of, of Marvel comics. Well, it's smart. I mean, this Kevin is a, Feige this made is a Disney available. era Disney era Marvel tour. Well, you know, Disney yes. also owns Pixar, so you're seeing a similar kind of... They've been of, there for two years yeah. now, and, and they're, uh, you know, ensconced, and they're even willing to think about Oscars, so that was part of it as well. So, uh, you have to dash off to do more Tribeca Film Festival stuff, so we'll leave it at that. Next week, I'm going to go to some horror film festival in Oregon. Is but, this the uh, Stephen King thing this that you is go the Stephen to? King the Outlook thing. Hotel that the you overlooked, always... The Overlooked. The Overlooked. They shot the experience. Pardon me, It used to be called something else. It used to be called The Stanley, and it was in Colorado. Now it's in Oregon. But uh, So I'll have another film festival thing to talk about, and we can hopefully get some truth out of you about the documentaries. You, you got to do it. Enjoy. Okay.